And the Lord God said, go. And I said, who, me? And God said, yes, you. And I said, well, I'm really not ready, and Thanksgiving's coming, and who's going to watch the kids? And you know, there's no one to take my place. And God said, you're stalling. From Chicago, it's the Old St. Pat's Podcast Sunday Series, a show that highlights weekly reflections from Old St. Patrick's Church. In advertising, communications, PR, and relationships, a wide range of strategies are employed to convey messages. We present facts, utilize numbers, charts, and graphs, or opt for emotionally charged storytelling. In biblical times, Jesus employed a powerful tool called parables to impart timeless wisdom. While we may believe we comprehend their meaning, the nuances often elude us. Parables transcend mere storytelling. They are intricate combinations of metaphors, narratives, and at times hyperboles designed to impart profound lessons. Today, Father Foley delves into a classic gospel and helps reveal the intended interpretation by Jesus. For 18 seasons, NBC has reminded us that America's got talent. But since this is an international enterprise, it's not just America's got talent, but Moldova has talent and Albania has talent and Cambodia's got talent and Iran's got talent and Mongolia with at least 70 other countries have their own program that says they've got talent. Whether you're a fan or not, you probably know the format. Some autistic blind pianist, true story, or a frumpy middle-aged matron, we all know her, or the acrobatic street kids from Mumbai. They take the stage with trepidation and then uh, in a matter of moments electrify the audience and have them on their feet. If you know the story and if you know that show, it might sound to you like today's parable in Matthew is the, really the gospel according to Simon Cowell urging you not to bury your talents, stop just singing in the tower, I mean the shower or wowing your pets, step into the spotlight, show them what you got and become a millionaire, millionaire like he has in the process. Yeah, I'm being a little facetious here, but a lot of us when we hear this story and we've heard this parable over and over and over again, often think that it's about our talents that we're not to hide our talent, as Jesus says earlier in Matthew, under a bushel basket. Uh, in this interpretation, the master stands for God. And what we have to do is we have to use our talents in God's service. And if we're not, we're cast down into darkness. Read hell, all right? There are major difficulties with that interpretation, however. First of all, talent is not a personal gift. It is a staggering amount of money. Second, the master in the parable is not a stand-in for God unless you want a completely corrupt deity. And maybe most surprisingly, the third uh, uh, servant who, who is like, we label him as a coward and, you know, as a, uh, some kind of backward individual, he actually might be the most Christ-like person in the entire gospel. First, as we learned in um, the, um, what was it? all the president's men, follow the money, all right? A talent was not a coin you could carry around in your pocket unless you were Hagrid or Hercules, all right? This is an ancient weight 
that was used for weighing gold and silver, which weighed about 75 pounds. And its value, the value is, is argued by contemporary scholars, scriptural scholars. Some play it's say it's worth millions of dollars. Others say it's only tens of thousands. Whatever, it was worth at least 20 years of wages for the ordinary worker at the time of Jesus. The second thing is that we learn is that the amount of cash and a staggering amount of money, giving somebody five talents is like giving them a mega million uh, jackpot. But the master who does this is in no way godlike. Take the blunt assessment of that third servant who says, you know, you're a hard guy, you, you, you reap where you don't sow, you know, you take what isn't yours. Contemporary capitalists might say, this is a very, very clever entrepreneur. <laughs> but in the eyes of the Middle Eastern forebearers that they're hearing this story, he's opportunistic and greedy. In the first century Mediterranean area, people believed that all goods already existed. You could not create money. Cryptocurrencies would not work here, okay? The only way that you could get more money is to defraud somebody else. So maybe this is really the gospel according to Sam Bankman-Fried, who knows, okay? Vice presidents one and two in the story, they doubled their master's wealth. The only way they could do it was through fraudulent ways. No wonder the master was pleased. Not only did he get them more money, but they, they mirrored his bamboozling ways. So even among criminals, apparently, imitation is the highest form of flattery. And then there was the bury it in the ground, be prudent and careful, unwilling to gamble it away guy who gets trashed and fired and dumped on the street. Ironically, he does exactly what the rabbis teach. What do you do with your money? You bury it in the ground. That was the teaching of the rabbis at the time. Now, he, the, the master says, you didn't even put it in the bank. You could have gotten me interest, which sounds reasonable to us, except, of course, according to the ancient uh, Hebrew teaching, Getting interest, especially off the back of the poor, was against the Bible. You weren't allowed to do it. So this, this thoughtful, prudent guy who refused to participate in the graph, he refuses to scam, he refuses to lend the money like the poor peasants so they can plant their, their crops, and then they don't have enough money to pay back, so he forecloses and takes over their land. That's how these big land owners acquire their land in the Roman Empire. This, this servant refuses to contribute, participate in the graft. He's not a coward, but he's a courageous whistleblower. But it doesn't get him very far because he gets sacked for his honesty. Quite frankly, this story would have stunned Jesus' listeners, none of whom were venture capitalists, all right? They were peasants who could not imagine that kind of money, and they could imagine burying it to protect it. This is the last parable in the Gospel of Matthew. It's right before Jesus' arrest and his own passion and death, and it signals that Jesus is also unwilling to collude. He's unwilling to collude with oppression, He's unwilling to collude with the occupiers. He's unwilling to collude with those who sell their religious uh, rights for uh, engagement with the state. 
And he, he gets cast out. He ends up on the, on the heap called Golgotha. So you've got to ask yourself, where's the good news? In the mid-1990s, I was uh, preaching out in a parish uh, in the western suburbs, and I realized that there was this phenomenon happening that I had to read. It was called Harry Potter. All right. How many of you have read the Harry Potter books? See, the, there you go. Okay. How many of you have read them to your children? Okay, and scare your children. Yeah, exactly. I just didn't want to be a muggle. I figured that I had to learn this stuff because it was in everybody's vocabulary, right? Little did anybody know back then that they would sell over 500 million copies, that the movies themselves would take in $10 billion, and then when you put the merchandise on top of that and the Hogwarts that is both in, in Florida and California, 45 billion more dollars, right? I mean, they're, they're a phenom. I just thought, because I was classically trained, that it was cool that most of the, most of the uh, spells were in Latin. <laughs> one of my favorite spells, you know the third book, The Prisoner of Azkaban, one of my favorite spells is this Bogart banishing spell, uh, Ridiculous. And what the Ridiculous spell does is force the shape, shapeshifter, that's what Bogarts are, to, to assume this kind of outrageous form so they could be defeated by laughter. There is an incredible scene in the, in the third movie, you can actually just grab that clip off, off YouTube, in which nervous Neville, uh, what is he afraid of? His Bogart is, is Professor Snape. Everybody is afraid of Snape. And when Snape comes out and he's being coached how to do this, he, he calls out the spell, ridiculous, and he re-outfits Professor Snape in his grandmother's ludicrous clothing, and just, I mean, it's hysterical. And, and then Ron comes out, who is so afraid of spiders, and he does the spell, and he gets rid of this huge spider by cladding it in four sets of roller skates. Matthew is not J.R. Rowling, gratefully, all right, but Matthew does have a keen eye for the ridiculous. Hyperbole is exaggeration for effect. These, every parable is about exaggeration. Every parable is, has a level of ridiculousness to it. And what it seems to me that Matthew was doing in this gospel is he is exposing the corruption. He's exposing the, the shapeshifter called oppression, which is, happens to us through all centuries and across all societies, and he exposes it, ridicules it, and says, we cannot participate in this. I find it difficult increasingly to listen to the news because it should sound ridiculous, but unfortunately it's bone-crushingly true. Children being kidnapped from one country to another during a war. Migrants fleeing starvation. Air pollution shutting down the national capital of the most populous country in the world. Hospitals becoming the front line of a war. Oppression is a shapeshifter. The ridiculous spell doesn't destroy the Bogart, it reveals it. It reveals its absurdity. We will never, in human time, destroy prejudice and greed and oppression, but we can reveal it. We can recognize its absurdity in the face of the gospel. We can 
pull the veil back on it and not let it continue unchecked. And I think what this gospel does is the gospel says to us, our ordinary ways of trying to respond to oppression don't work anymore. We can't just bury it in the ground or our heads. Something riskier is required. 68 years ago next month, a quiet, bespeckled 42-year-old seamstress took a public stand against colluding with oppression. She got tossed out, arrested, vilified. Her name was Rosa Parks. Her resistance to the bogart of racism and prejudice at first seemed unspectacular. She was already sitting in the colored section of the back of the bus, and the bus driver wanted her to move out of the colored section to allow a white person to sit there, and she said, no more. Small gesture, but one that eventually shook both a county and then a state and then a country. Go back and look at that first reading. It might sound like this idealized image of this very sweet woman who is a perfect wife, and she sits at home, and she's spinning her flax and wool, and what a lovely woman she is, domestic, not concerned about the world. This is no picture of some idle woman. This is a, a description of strategic economic activity. This wise woman is reaching out from her home into the poor, into the unburdened need, uh, into the needy, unburdening them. Her innovative justice echoes across her town out to the town gates. Maybe she should have been the patron saint of servant number three, pushing him to try something new, saying you can't just bury it in the ground anymore. I imagine her whispering into the ear of a young Rosa Park, time to innovate, time to rethink the mission. Time to expose oppression and banish the ridiculousness of prejudice. Something we are able to do in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the Lord God said, go. And I said, who, me? And God said, yes, you. And I said, well, I'm really not ready, and Thanksgiving's coming, and who's going to watch the kids? And you know, there's no one to take my place. And God said, you're stalling. And the second time, the Lord God said, go. And I said, I don't want to. And I, God said, I didn't ask you if you wanted to. And I said, listen, you know, I'm not the kind of person to get involved in controversy. My family won't like it. What will the neighbors think? And the Lord God said, baloney. And the third time, the Lord God said, go. I said, do I have to? And God said, do you love me? And I said, look, I'm scared. People are going to shun me, talk behind my back, take it out of my family. I can't do this by myself. And God said, who said you were going to be doing it by yourself? Where do you think I'll be? And the fourth time, the Lord God said, go. And I said, here I am, Lord. I come to do your holy will. This is the 33rd Sunday in Extraordinary Times. The old St. Pat's Got Talent Sunday. The time to step up your game Sunday. Because God says to us, go. 
And we pray that assailed by the word and nourished by the table, we too wholeheartedly can say, here I am, Lord. I come to do your holy will. Through Christ our Lord and the church says, Time now for announcements and events. 
Thanksgiving is this Thursday, and we are grateful for you. We hope you'll plan to join us for our heartwarming Thanksgiving liturgy on Thursday, November 23rd at 10 a.m. Let's gather to give thanks for all our blessings together. And if you're able to attend, we welcome you to join us in the spirit of giving by participating in the St. Agatha Annual Thanksgiving Food Drive. Share the joy of the season. Help us stock their food pantry for the holidays. Drop off your donation in the OSP White Truck Thanksgiving morning. Get ready for festive cheer and Old St. Pat's spirit. This holiday season, dive into our limited-time online Christmas shop where you can finally get OSP apparel. From cozy sweatshirts to stylish hats and quarter zips, we got a sleigh full of options adorned with the iconic OSP logo. And with your purchase, you'll be spreading the joy because a portion of each sale will go towards supporting OSP ministries. Hurry, the pop-up shop is only for a limited time on our website. This Advent, embark on a profound spiritual journey. Join us on November 26th at 4 p.m. for a virtual exploration, blending prayer, teaching, and sharing. Let facilitators Laura Field and Al Gustafson guide you through a transformative experience. Discover the Christmas miracle of incarnation, where God's love unfolds over 13.8 billion years and continues to embrace you today. Dive into detailed prayer materials, small group check-ins, and one-on-one sessions with a spiritual director. Don't miss this unique opportunity. Tickets are $75. Register at oldstpats.org. Thank you for listening to today's episode. The homily was originally given at the 9 a.m. Mass on Sunday, November 19th by Father Ed Foley. For more information about all resources available, visit our website at oldstpats.org. To stay up to date with new episodes, please follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and the Old St. Pat's app. Find us on Twitter at Old St. Pat's and on Instagram at Old St. Pat's Chicago. You've been listening to the Old St. Pat's Podcast. Thank you.